but um but i agree with you matt that the 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 well i forgot what you said actually <laughs> but i do agree with you in general um because well, I, it's, it's, people agree with me all the time Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Great, Nick. Matt, I understand you're camping again. What is it exactly that you're running from? <laughs> That's right. That's a good question, but we are out camping again and actually the children are just going crazy. And so we kind of want to leave them here and go back to our house. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that our listeners could see you ensconced in your car for some yeah, peace and quiet like, there out, out in the like campground. Lord of the Flies outside, so. <laughs> yeah. You just have to tie some like ribbon on a, on a trail for them to follow back to the house and then just right. throw a well, handful of... The boys are sharpening sticks. And <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen a conch yet, but, or conch yet, but. That's right. Was it kill the pig? Yeah. That's what I learned about asthma. I didn't have asthma uh, as a child, but, uh, you know, poor Piggy had asthma, and he yeah. was so complaining right. about it the right. whole time, and right. they, were so, they were so brutal to him. Uh, what a foretelling of the state of the world. <laughs> it's like, Luckily, we've all matured beyond such things, right? Right, unless you live in Portland. <laughs> well, Matt, one of the things that you could be trying to escape from on your camping trip is uh, election coverage. If there's one silver lining to COVID-19, it's that it's severely shortened election season, or at least the media coverage thereof. Uh, Joe Biden, though, last week announced that Kamala Harris would be his vice presidential nominee, and so attention has finally turned in earnest to the upcoming presidential election. And this, of course, means that as Christians think about who they can vote for, abortion once again rises to the top of the Christian conversation like it does every four years. Can a Christian vote for someone who supports abortion? Is abortion just one issue among many, or is it the most important issue? I don't think any of us want to be in the business necessarily of telling people who to vote for. And I don't think we want Stand Firm to be a political podcast, but Christians do live in the polis, in the city, and we have to interact with it. Our faith necessarily has ramifications for our interactions with other people, which is all politics is. And this year, as usual, we're seeing people wondering why conservatives in general and Christians in particular are so hung up on abortion. So JD, Matt, What's the big deal about abortion? Well, it's the snuffing out of a human life, whether it, it happens soon after conception or it happens as the laws allow now, and some the laws allow for the, the murder of a baby right after it's born. Um, it's it's flat out murder. There, there's no there's no other way to describe it. I know others. I know people kind of shy away from that word when talking about abortion, but it's it's a murderous practice. Um, so uh, that, with the, the, the scale of, of the murder that we've seen in this country, I think the number is 64 million, maybe. I, 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 that was last year's number, uh, 64 million. I'm not sure where we're up to now. But uh, sometimes when you compare the abortion, the systemic abortion process and, and uh, 
infrastructure in this country to say what was going on during the World War II and the Holocaust, people accuse you of breaking Godwin's law. You know, everybody who's against me is everybody who I disagree with is Hitler. But I think that's actually a, an insult to Hitler. <laughs> Hitler killed six million. We're at 64 million dead babies. Let us think again, 64 million dead babies. Mm. Right, there's no other issue, uh, whether it be employment or social security or race or whatever it might be. There's no other issue that even comes close to carrying the moral weight of this ongoing Holocaust. And for, I think, my, my, my opinion is that a Christian cannot and should not ever vote for any candidate, whether he or she's Republican or Democrat or whatever, that supports this murder. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to point out that, you know, in the history of, of Judeo-Christian thought, uh, the very concept of it up until very recently uh, was almost universally considered to be a, a, a horror. You know, I mean, this was this was part of the, the terror of the Jews, you know, that you tell your children about the Canaanite worship of Molech, was that, you know, that God was so atrocious and so terrible that even something as wonderful as a baby it would take as a sacrifice. And so it carried over into the teaching of the Christian church. And, you know, people have pointed out very quickly that, you know, when you don't begin, when you don't expose your children, when you, when you don't um, abort your child, you know, we have larger families that helps the uh, church growth movement, as it were, in the early centuries of the church development. And, and fundamentally, it was seen throughout um, the, uh, the Judeo-Christian world as a confession of faith in God, the good creator. I mean, go back to the psalmist, you know, like you, in, in my womb, you know, I was conceived in sin, you know, in my womb, and yet the hairs of my head are numbered. And that there was a, a, there is a profession of faith in the, the bringing of a child to the world that, that is simultaneously a confession of God, a creator, you know, the father, the, the, the author of life. And to, to go against him was considered, particularly among Christians, to be a, an abomination. You know, I mean, it's from the DDK on. I mean, you have people expressly knowing that children complicate your life, you know, often bring uh, sorrow and sadness, you know, that there are uh, obligations that some people in their weakness or in their slovenliness do not want to undertake. And nevertheless, we are commanded to be fruitful and multiply. I mean, I think fundamentally, the question of abortion, question of child having children at all is a question of, of reaction to the law that was given to the world, be fruitful and multiply, you know, expand and subdue the earth. And you either by faith accept that. Um, and of course, it's not just a Christian idea, um, but of course, amongst Christians, it's a, it's a profession of faith. Um, or you, add, you do everything you can to suppress and reject and go away from that command. And we see the technological ability, as we talked about last week, that has, that has commodified sex and has um, sort of uh, driven a wedge between any um, sort of uh, the, the procreation or sort of relationship at all, um, so that the ability to just decide on a whim you know, whether this is the time for you to have a child or not, whether this is the time for you to, to, um, to, to either end the pregnancy or, or to carry it through is um, presented to people. And we should be unsurprised that as people are less Christian um, or less convicted in their understanding of the gift of, of the giver of the good gift of life, well, then we see, um, you know, return to, to sacrifice to the ultimate God, which is myself and my future and my, um, stability in my mental health or whatever the case may be. 
So we need to think about what we're doing when, when we're voting in our, in our system of government. Uh, when, when, when an American citizen casts his or her vote, it's an act of governance. You're, you're acting as one of the, the rulers. We're, we live in a republic. And so it's, it's, it's all of the responsibility that, that God lays in the shoulders of governors and rulers in Romans 13, in some sense, maybe not as much as maybe or, or, uh, the president or a, or, or, a, or a judge, but it, but it does in some sense rest on the shoulders of the voter. So you as a Christian are responsible for restraining the evildoer and punishing the evildoer and, and supporting righteousness. So, uh, so you see yourself going into that voters in the voting booth as a, as a, as a ruler. So given that, Casting a vote for someone who has explicitly said, where regardless of, regardless of party, who's explicitly said, "I am going to make it easier for people to to murder their babies," you have then become one of the people you're trying. You, you, you're you're invested with by God with the authority to restrain. So it's a, it's a disobedience on your part as as a co-governor with all of your other all of the citizens of of the, of the state. Um, as Christians. I, I, um, as Christians, we also sometimes the question comes up: where, where in the Bible does does God forbid abortion? Yeah, forbid abortion. And I, I think the first place to go would be, of course, Luke chapter one, where the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and she conceives, and that is it's at that moment that that God takes on human nature. If you're going to deny the the ancient christological confession of the church and of and the, the bible too uh, at, at the moment of that overshadowing of mary god became man then you can say well we don't know exactly when when human life begins but if you're a christian you do believe in the incarnation as classically understood as biblically taught then you you're forced by virtue of Luke chapter one to recognize that human life begins right at that moment, right? Right at conception. And in fact, just a week later, when John the Baptist, right. This is Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant. John the Baptist, who's six six months from conception, leaps in a room. Recognizes his savior. Yeah, Elizabeth, filled by the Holy Spirit, looks very careful to tell us that. Elizabeth, filled by the Holy Spirit, says... Yeah, you know, this he's he's leaping for joy because the mayor, the mother of his of his Lord is here. So I think there's just Luke chapter one is sufficient. There are other places of course in scripture you could go. Um there's some there's an account of, of two fighting men, I think it's in Leviticus, where one man strikes accidentally a woman who is who is pregnant and her child is prematurely born and if the child dies uh, then it's life for life. Looks terrible. Um, I forget which text that is. I think it's in Exodus actually. Uh, but there's other places you can go. But I think Luke chapter one is where we would would want to want to focus. Yeah, I think that's a really good really good insight, and it goes back to the fundamental divide between whether or not you you believe that that's a baby, you know, or or not, um, you know, and that's that really takes a lot of the moral deliberation, I think, for a Christian out of out of the context, because yes, we can talk and we should talk about the difficulties that people face uh, when they have children that they weren't preparing for, you know, um, but in quality of life issues and all these things that come up, but they're all secondary to the very fundamental question is whether or not you believe that is in fact a human and 
to the extent that you have power, will you exercise it in protecting them or allowing them to be to be harmed? And that's just a fundamental question. I mean, you know, it goes to the very question back to voting, Matt, of of this this off thrown back um, criticism that we're sort of trying to quote unquote impose morality on people, you know, that we're, that we're, you know, get your hands off my body sort of idea. And it's, it's such an easy thing to refute that I'm surprised that, that most people don't, you know, take a little moment to, to really think through what they're saying, because at its essence, each and every law that is imposed upon you is somebody else's idea on your body. You know, I, I can't, right. there are all sorts of things that I'm not free to do that I may want to do. And, you know, I could maybe move to a place where it's, it's legal to do it, but where I am now, you know, there's a litany of things that I'm, that, that where the state, the collective will morality of the people has been, been imposed, imposed on me to constrain me ostensibly for my good or my, my, what the, you know, they'll say the human flourishing or something. And so, um, so for a politician to, to, to abdicate responsibility for the, the unborn as some sort of sidestep by saying, well, we're not interested in, in legislating morality. What's like, well, you, you shouldn't even be a politician because that is, that doesn't even, you clearly don't even understand what it means to be, to be a legislator, to be to be a governor or a ruler, because you are going to be making all sorts. Of, I mean, look at what's happening now. You know, these the mayors and the governors and the of these states are putting all sorts of impositions on us. Uh, you know, and we can agree or disagree, but it doesn't stop you from getting fined. You know, in Charleston now, you know, if you're if you're at a out on the beach and you're not in a uh, protected bubble, you know, you'll be um, tased. And then one of those bolo <laughs> nets, you know, that they have in Jurassic Park will be shot over you and then you'll be hung up in the city square. But, you know, that's, that's just, um, that's for public you safety. Know, anyway. Right. Well, I mean, we should, we should note that within Christendom, there is a, an ongoing movement. I think that the name of the organization is called the AND campaign, A and D and campaign to mitigate the horror of abortion as compared to other political issues. So, so the, the idea is we are really pro-life. They'll say we are against abortion, but we're not going to say that abortion is by itself a litmus test or other, there are other issues that are important, like racial justice and social justice and welfare and social security and, and so, if you're pro-life, it has pro-life really has a a, a, a broad spectrum. Yeah. And so, if you just isolate abortion, they'll argue you're not really pro-life. That's what's often said. You're weaponizing the, the yeah. one issue at the expense of others, and that usually shuts down at least Facebook conversations we've seen. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But but I mean, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna break Godwin's law, but <laughs> again, but. Um, but look, the trains were running in time. Compare people the, to Mao. How about that? Or Pol Pot. <laughs> right, right. Right. The, well, but I mean, the Nazis had an efficient social system going on. They had Tito, the, 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 the full employment, you know, all, all the social security stuff was going fine, and they were wanting to kill the Jews. But, but the, but, so, so the fact is, you can have a politician who will solve all of our social issues and yet still be pro baby murder and that would never justify voting for him because because again this 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 the this, this holocaust this this murderous system so 
eclipses every other murderous system that has been known. Even the even the the the, the, the masses of people killed under the various communist regimes that there's just, there's just simply no excuse for voting for a pro-abortion politician, even if he, he or she is right in every other issue. One of the retorts that has seemed to take some purchase with some people, as you referenced the sort of broadening of the term pro-life from just being anti-abortion to being pro all of these other things that are supposed to um, give rise to human flourishing is the question of end of life issues, notably capital punishment. And one of the things that conservatives and Christians are often accused of is a kind of hypocrisy where we only care about the child until it's born and then we don't care at all. And especially we don't care about a criminal who might be sentenced to death. So how do you guys, um, how do you guys think about that as a distinction between thinking about pro-life at the beginning of life? What does pro-life mean at the end of life? I happen to know um, that our ACNA constitution refers to um, supporting life from conception to natural death. How does that work into all this? How do we go about talking about pro-life in a broader sense? Well, I'll take the, uh, excuse me, the the death penalty one uh, first, if you don't mind, Matt, Uh, because I think that, you know, fundamentally you have to ask yourself, do you live in a government that you trust at some degree with the use of capital force? Like, do you trust them? Like, do we, um, and if you don't, well, then that's a different question because we need to overthrow this government or you live in a totalitarian state or you live in all these sorts of uh, places that you need to reform these laws. And you're including if, like the army and the, the police, of course. Police, yes. Yeah. yes. So then then the question becomes you have implicitly agreed to live in a in a state that has given ultimate right to life over its legal enforcers. So there's a there's kind of a, a, a fundamental posture there. But then with specific regards to the death penalty over against abortion is I would be first and foremost with anyone at all who would be rigorous in the um, the sort of reform of criminal justice system, you know, to to be ruthless in the eradication of partiality, of looking through, um, you know, uh, sort of inequalities of, of arrest and all, all of the problems that deal with this massive legal system we have. I am more than happy to to have that conversation, but not simultaneously with the idea that it is somehow immoral or ultimately unjust to exact capital punishment when the the system as best as we can and with as clear um, operation as possible and with every check and balance that we could conceive of has been has been run there still exists within the the framework of a moral universe where right and wrong ultimately exist and good and evil ultimately exist. And fundamentally the final punishment, this side of heaven, we confess is, is penultimate to ultimate judgment. And yet the power of the state exists to punish evil and wrongdoing when it is, when it has been so adjudicated. And so I think for Christians, you know, you can simultaneously argue, and at least I do, 
um, like with Chuck Colson, you know, of all people who, who, you know, would saw firsthand. I mean, there's a famous breakpoint uh, commentary that he wrote. He said, you know, I've been in the criminal justice system. I've been in prison. I've seen the corruption. I've seen the, the, um, you know, crooked judges and all these things. So I'm with anyone in the world who wants to reform and, you know, work to a just outcome. And yet, the, the, the system within which the death penalty exists needs to be maintained if we're going to continue to make an argument that there is, there is a moral order to, to the society. And of course, many people deny that. You know, that's been the, that's been, uh, we're watching sort of the moral consensus, um, what is right and wrong, what is good and evil uh, has been eroded, um, is being eroded and is currently being, um, you know, outright rejected by, excuse me, by many but for a Christian, um, that's not, I don't think that's a viable intellectual place. Although there are many people, many Christians, reporting Christians who are against the death penalty. And that's been a sort of a, um, a growing social justice concern within certain group. Um, but I think that scripturally, we, we have warrant to, for just weights and measure for, um, for good justices and ultimately for the power of the state to execute um, uh, its job in preventing and punishing evil uh, when it deems, when it deems necessary. Yeah. I, I think the same God who said thou shalt not kill also in Genesis nine instituted the death penalty and, and under the old covenant regulations, I think there were over 30 the violations of the law that would end in stoning or death for the violator. So, so I don't think it's possible for a Christian to oppose the death penalty in principle um, because God instituted it for, I mean, he, he, there wouldn't have been a death penalty instituted by God had there not been the fall, but there is the fall. And so God instituted the death penalty as a means of restraining our, our sinful flesh. So I don't think you can oppose it in principle. Uh, so that goes to the idea. I think I think people who say, well, if you're pro-life, you can't be for the death penalty. I think the people who argue that are are are, are misunderstanding the principle. They're thinking the principle is that human life itself can never ever be taken. That's not the Christian principle. The Christian principle is that. For human life to be taken, there needs to be a just cause. Right. And 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 the just cause, as as God has understood, as God has revealed it, at least one just cause is you know, murder. You, you murder someone, your your life is forfeit. It, it can justly be taken from you. It can be justly removed from you under the the principle of lex talionis. So, yep. so the the question, the the real principle is justice, not not human life is so sacred that no one can ever take it. I also think that, that when, when we look at, when we look at the, the, at the death penalty, we're, we're looking at a, at a law that actually places tremendous value on, on human life as, as a, as a notion, as, a, as a, the idea that human, the human being is created in God's image. So to take away a human being's life unjustly is an attack on God himself. It's, it's a kind of a blasphemous act. That's why murder is such a horrible thing. You're, you're destroying someone who's been made in God's image. It's an, it's an act of the human flesh to destroy God really. And, and so not only have you sinned against the person you've murdered, but you've sinned against God himself. And so you need to be, that's why the penalty is so great. 
But when we're talking about an unborn human being, <laughs> none of these things apply. I, it, it's 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 a, such a strange comparison to to compare the, the the person who's committed murder or some other capital crime being executed with the unborn baby who's done nothing yet at all. Yes, that unborn unborn baby has a fallen human nature, but he or she has not yet acted on that, and so there's still there's just nothing. There's there's no justice in the taking of that life. Yeah, and it's so arbitrary. Often the arguments made about you know the quote unquote quality of life that the baby may or may not have had, you know, and it's like, well, you may maybe you want to ask them when they were, you know, probably not when they were thirteen or fourteen, maybe they were kind of in their goth phase, but you know, I'm pretty sure uh, we would want to hear their their reactions to that, and it's just such an incredibly dark and nihilistic pragmatism this this calculus that goes into the determination of whether or not um some human being should be allowed to live you know like there um you know i wasn't gonna be able to provide for the third child the way that i could the first two and so therefore you know we killed it i mean that's what that's what you have to say and so i think it's a uh, going back to the broader question it's, it has, in my experience, it's the way that people talk about these things, which get my sort of my, my radar, you know, up or, your, or the way that they talk about it, because I will be the first with anyone to, um, to cry with, with someone that has, has found it impossible not to make this decision. You know, the people in every congregation, like I, I, I know, you know, people close to me, um, who um, who thought at the time they had no other choice, you know, and and that's and that's often the case, you know, that's often the case, or who had, who have come to a, a real sense of repentance and and sadness about this, and there is healing and redemption for that, without question, without question, and that is a that's a message, you know, sixty five million abortions have taken place in 40 years, then that means that none of us are more than one degree separated probably from, from this. I mean, that's an enormous amount of people that, that aren't here with us. And so, you know, the level of psychic trauma and guilt and shame that, that is being carried around by people, I think makes sense as to why it's such a, a hot button issue. Because if it's 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 like in that Chappelle thing, you know, it's like if it's if it actually is a baby, then there are a lot of people who have done some, well, frankly, horrible things. And of course, you know, as Christians, we have an answer for that. We have a we have a crucified and risen Savior for people that have done horrible things. But, but the first step is is coming to that awareness. And and sixty five million people later, and a generation that isn't here, that is going to require an enormous amount of courage and confidence that when I actually tell you, you know, what is wrong with me or what I've done that you will, you, you can handle it, you know, the, the weight of it, like who can handle this, this weight? And I think that that's where the church does have an opportunity to preach, obviously, forgiveness and, and the possibility of redemption from this, this um, tragedy that takes place in, in an abortion. But we can't, you know, euphemize what it actually is. You can't just sort of define it down, you know, that it's a, I made a wrong decision. It's like, well, we need to, you're, you're dealing with, the effects of this quote unquote decision, the way that a mother who, who knows that they, they killed their child does like that's what's happening. And that needs to be articulated. Um, and so that it can be forgiven so that it can be, can be, be brought forth. And again, that doesn't need to be done in a impersonal, you know, just on the street sort of basis. But I think that for a pastor, um, to continue to, if we talk about this, which we, I think we are, we are, um, we are mandated to do, 
um, we have to be, I think, equally fully throated about the equal ground at the foot of the cross, of course, you know, and allow people the possibility of, of confessing um, because then we can see redemption. But, um, but I agree with you, Matt, that the, 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 well, I forgot what you said, actually, <laughs> but I do agree with you in general. Um, because well, I, it says people agree with me all the time. You yeah, don't have to know what yeah. I say. I'm just right. A lot of my friends say that. <laughs> the, uh, when I was 17, a friend of mine, a girl, not my girlfriend, was pregnant and she came to me for help and I was not a Christian. I didn't know, uh, why I, I knew it was wrong. I knew abortion was wrong, even though I wasn't a Christian, but she was my friend. And so I gave her money and I drove her up to San Antonio and I helped her kill her baby, um, which is where the, the clinic was that she's going to. Um, it was, so I, I mean, I have, I have blood on my hands. I and mean, if, if, if we're, if we're going to talk guilt, I, I gave money to kill a baby when I was, um, when I was a teenager. And that was one of the things that the, the reality of that act dawning on my conscience when I was in my late in my mid twenties is one of the things that drove me to my knees to, you know, confess my sins and receive the forgiveness of Christ. So I, I know there, there, there is redemption for those who have either taken part in, in the murder of their own children or those who have, who have helped others do so that, that you can be forgiven because the blood of Christ is more than sufficient to cover that, that sin and he, he he died for that and he he loves you if you've <laughs> it's it's not that it's you have not forfeited god's god's love and god's concern for you if you've done this if you've if you've murdered your baby you are not outside of god's mercy so so please turn back i think i think it's important though and i think jd was hitting on this it's really important not to not to lessen what you've done i, I can't look back at what i've done and say well, you know, I was just trying to have a friend. I was just trying to be compassionate. I didn't know. No, I, I was complicit in murder. And that's knowing that helps me recognize just how great the cross is, just how magnificent the work of God and Christ is um, to, to cover, to cleanse, and to, to redeem amen. Um, sinners in their sins. Yeah, amen. And I think it's important to point out, that, uh, you know, men are as complicit in this in, as, as women, Absolutely. you know, because I think that's often something, you know, I think about the, I think a lot about, um, you know, what's happening with sort of the, the communal reactions to the law, you know, thou shalt not kill, um, go fruitful, be fruitful, multiply, you know, honor your father and mother, you know, these are just the statements of God in the world. And you think about the, with 65 million abortions on top of the of the the fact that I think I just read recently that the U.S. is now of the Western nations the most um, likely to be a child being brought up in a single parent home. So you're talking about there's you know there's a there's a there's a law for a father usually the case um, who's not taking care of his child, not raising a child you know that he may have have fathered. Uh, you took you put that level of guilt on top of all of these aborted babies, and you see sort of the a a explanation, not only explanation for the the general unease and despair in our current situation, and the res, the response to that is either one of two things: either a continuing, um, increasingly uh, strident uh, cry that there's nothing wrong with any of this, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong, 
And if you question it, then we are going to throw ourselves against the door of the Supreme Court hearing chamber because you're daring to have the possibility of making me turn around and face this, you know? So there's either that or there's redemption through forgiveness for all of this, all of it. And I think that's where, you know, I feel very deeply for the woman who has to face that choice, you know, who, I mean, like Matt, like not just a friend, but the actual father of the child says, what do you mean? You know, here's, here's money for two or three or four more. Um, if it, if that's what it takes, because heck, if I'm going to, you know, uh, have my career path altered because of your, you know, mistake or whatever, I mean, however it would be settled. And, you know, I was, um, I'm struck in in a certain sense, and I won't mention the television show, but there's even television shows that are cavalier about how frequently this happens in, um, Mm -hmm. sort of everyday relationships and, um, uh, about how cavalier, you know, the guy who says, well, if if you, if if you allowed yourself to get pregnant, that wasn't my fault. So here's some money because you, you know, and you're sitting there and you're saying, Lord have mercy. You know, I mean, this is why we preach. This is why we, you know, we're, we're, this is why we assail heaven with our prayers is not because out of contempt for any of these people, but out of a genuine awareness of what life must be like, if that's how you viewed it. And for a politician who sees nothing wrong with any of it. Um, that's, that's not a politician that I want leading me. Um, and I don't think Christian in a good conscience could, could support that. Well, and as you say, when we, that's why we preach, the reason we preach is because we know the source of that visceral scream, the, you cannot tell me this is not okay. The source is Mm -hmm. that person has made themselves God. There is either a God who is not you or you are God. And as you alluded to earlier, Shady, with your discussion of Molech, humans have always sacrificed children to their gods. And when we become our own God, it makes all the sense in the world, logically, um, that we would sacrifice children to ourselves. And so when we are God and we see perhaps only subconsciously that we are not omnipotent, we are not all knowing. And the fact that we are a God who cannot even control the most simple things around us, that is despair. A a powerless person who thinks of themselves as a God is a despairing person. That's right. And that is why we preach. That is what we've been given to say that there is a God and he can redeem even you. Well, and that's why, that's exactly why when it comes down to the and movement you're talking about, Matt, if you really start digging into this and you begin to answer all these other questions, you say, okay, okay, well, look, I'll give you that there's a lot of other sociological ills that we need to address, but I'll give you that in addition to the fact that we shouldn't kill the baby. So let's not kill the baby. Let's care for the education. Let's care for the health care. Let's, let's work on life skill, like all the things you're talking about. And in addition, don't kill the baby and don't make it legal to do any of these bad things that you're saying, you know, don't make it, make it, right. um, let's, they will immediately at the end <clears throat> simply say, well, it still should be a, a woman's choice. It's like, well, yeah. you know, the problem, I mean, from a Christian standpoint, we, we can't affirm that because it's nobody's, nobody should be given the legal right to choose man or woman about the, right. the life, taking the life of an innocent, innocent person. And so, you know, I find this very personally, um, it hit our family very personally because I was surprised at how expensive adoption is, for instance, you know, mm. something in the range of like, I don't know, $20,000 minimum. Um, and yet for $400, you can get an abortion. And when we were 
um, you know, uh, talking to people about this, uh, many of the the people that that gave their babies up for adoption, it was simply because they couldn't afford it, and they, and they couldn't even afford the four hundred dollars. And it's like this is this is a travesty and a reversal of 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 um, you know good and evil here. And yeah. and at the heart of it lies, like you said, Nick, this this growing despair that if you if your life, I mean, I think about this all the time. Think about the generation that has grown up with Roe versus Wade as the law of the land. They have been told implicitly or maybe explicitly that the only reason that they even exist is because their parents decided that their life was going to be worth living to some degree, you know, that they, or worse, that they were accidentally conceived and brought into the world, you know, perhaps because they didn't have enough money. And it's like that type of moral uh, world that we inhabit, you know, and you overlay all of the other uh, societal ills. Well, it's unsurprising that there is this primal scream, you know, that we talk about. And I think that, you know, that's, that's what keeps me preaching. That's what keeps me praying. Um, and it's, it's for hopefully bringing um, some peace that the world does not know to an increasingly agitated and restless, restless people. Yeah. Just 25 years ago, you had Bill Clinton talking about how abortion should be uh, cheap, safe, and rare. Mm. Now, that's obviously a logical inconsistency. Like, why should it be rare? Well, that's because it's morally wrong. It's morally wrong, right. so it shouldn't be rare. It should not happen at all. But, but you, you, had, you had that kind of talking, the sort of law written on our hearts. We know this is a bad thing, so we're going to say rare, even though it's logically inconsistent. Now, you have the shout my abortion hashtag. Shout this, my abortion. This is the primal scream writ large across the internet. Like, not only is it not going to be rare, I demand that you shower me with praise for what I've done. That's right. Yeah, it's the same. We were talking about this, that, that dynamic earlier where when you're trying to cover up your sin, it's not enough just to cover it up. You, you have to have mm-hmm. it, you have to have it celebrated because right. that will help you solve your, your conscience. You know, sometimes people will mention exceptions, of course, to the, to the question where I was raped uh, or this, this, um, this baby was not something that I, I wanted, um, and it was forced on me by a man who is uh, older than me and related to me. So rape or incest are two causes that some people sometimes cite. And uh, while you know, I think we need to be very compassionate and sensitive to that, we should also recognize that, okay, where well, there's two lives at stake, it's not it's not just the woman who was raped. It's the it's the, the baby that she now carries too. So you, you wouldn't execute the child, the born child of a woman who'd been who'd been raped if that child was the was the the product of her rapist. And neither should you do that with the unborn child. It's 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 not really that difficult of a question. And same thing with incest. You're, regardless of how the baby was 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 conceived, the baby is a baby. And so you don't want to to destroy it. Um, and that does, you know, all of these all of these these very difficult situations, whether it's because of rape or incest or because of someone making really bad choice sexually, all of this does raise, I think in in some cases, those who are pro-abortion ask a good question, what are you doing? What are you doing for the women who are in these situations? For sure. And, and, and I think, I don't know of a, of a, of a city that doesn't have a good network of, of women's help centers, Christian centers who are trying to help women who are pregnant and who are making the choice to keep their babies. I, I'm on the board of a, or to have a them adopted organization. Yeah. 
Right, right. Or to have them adopted. I'm, I'm on, I serve on the board of the Wife Choices Center here in Binghamton. And our whole purpose is to raise money so that women who make the choice yeah. to keep their baby will, will have diapers, will have clothing for their kids, will have food for their kid. If their dad's not around, we can do, we'll, we'll, we'll give them everything we can to help them make their, make their way through. And a, a lot of women have, have come through, through the, that center and not only raised their children well, but also become Christians themselves. So if you're looking for a way to do something active rather than just being against abortion, but also being for, for women who are making the right decision, look around where you live. There has, I'm, I'm almost positive, unless you live in a very, 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 very small town, that there are some, some Christian organization um, dedicated to helping them in those situations. Yeah. Yeah, I tell people all the time, if you, if you really put your money where your mouth is, go adopt a pregnant 16-year-old, you know, and then you can, uh, yeah, yeah. You can uh, right. take care of two lives in one, with one stone. Or, or you know, and, and I, again, back to my own frustration with this, is we've been on an adoption waiting list for over a year now. You know, there's just yeah. not that many available. It should be so much that easier are. to adopt. Yeah. yeah, and you say, you know, if you, wanna, if you want to, like we, we actually went through a, um, a um, uh, adoption agency down in uh, Texas that was founded in, by Methodists in the 19th century um, as an anti-abortion movement, you know, or sort of, I mean, it, well, it, it, it morphed into that um, be- precisely because it's slightly more expensive, but it's because they go out of their way to counsel the women, to help them get, continue their education. Like if they've been thrown out of their homes, which was the case, you know, a century ago, they, they house them. And the testimony that these women give, is not just to the future adoptive parents, but it's to their family and friends, you know, so it's to the, it's to the young girls, perhaps in their own, in their own communities that are facing this decision. And they, they, at least one of them says, listen, you know, I was, I was tempted to go into the abortion clinic and I didn't, I went to this place and they took care of me and I know that my baby's alive and being taken care of by this other family. And isn't that a wonderful story of redemption? And I think, you know, Matt, to the extent that we can get involved, like you are, um, you know, you're convicting me. I need to look around here in Charleston. I'm sure there's one, but, um, but you know, I think that's where, the rejoinder to you just want to control other people's lives and have this abstract idea um, about the importance of abortion can really be um, addressed because, you know, we can help people. We can help give them the hope that they do not have. And whether that's financial or educational or a combination of the two or societal, I mean, this is what we're working towards simultaneously with hoping that that more children will have the opportunity to, to be brought into the world. <laughs> that's, that's not, those are not at odds with each other. And when people try to silence the sort of strident anti-abortion um, stance like that we have, or at least convicted with an appeal to all these other problems, I want to just say, listen, I, I, it's not, and it's, it's, or it's not just, and it's both. And, you know, it's both right. the, the ending of abortion, but also the, the, the helping of these, of these women. And, you know, the, the prayer that I have is that the testimony, like for instance, for John's parents, you know, I pray that they, um, you know, as we continue to update them, you know, as appropriate on his development and his, um, his, his uh, maturation, that they grow in their conviction and, and, and grateful gratitude that they didn't have enough, you know, that they, they weren't able to, to get, take care of him, you know, in the way that they may have wanted to. And, and would that there were more testimonies like that is what we're praying for. 
All right. Amen to that. Um, our time is basically up for this week. As always, there are a ton of things that we could say more about that we would want to flesh out. Um, thank you so much for joining our conversation. If you'd like to keep the conversation ongoing, please be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. We do appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we will be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.